Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. This morning, because we are in Psalms for the summer, which is our declaration that summer has started for Vive Church all across the globe. And we're going to center in, in Psalms 118 in the English Standard Version. I'm really excited for this. And as I was just worshiping, just a really quick word, I, I do feel like there's a few people in this service specifically where you're doing a lot. And it's not the amount that you're doing that's going to crush you. It's the way in which you're carrying it. And God said there's power in the pause because it took five days for God to create all the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day, he created man. And on the seventh day, he rested, which means that Our first day was in a day of rest. There's power in the pause. Psalms 118, English Standard Version, it says, Oh, somebody say, Oh. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let Zwak Jen say, Let. Let Vive Church say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Come on, somebody. Anybody set free in the name of Jesus this morning? That that, that word free is actually so cool. In another translation, it says, he set me in a large space. Anybody feeling claustrophobic? Anybody feeling confined? God has freedom. God has larger spaces for you this morning. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Haters going to hate, but I got victory. The next verse is actually really significant. It is the most central passage in the whole Bible. If you take all the verses in the Bible and you cut it in half and you got to the central point, it would be Psalm 118.8. So maybe we should center our life on this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Fast forward to 14 because I'm going to take the greatest hits. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. How many people got that happy song? That song that just makes you joyful. That song that just wants to make you shout and dance in your private living room. Maybe you do a TikTok, but you don't publish it. David actually published it, and it said he danced naked in front of people. Probably got censored, but... Fast forward to verse 19. David is prophesying now. This is a Psalm of David. He says in verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Thank you for saving me. Verse 22, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know about you, but I'm going to preach us happy this morning. We're going to be rejoicing by the end of this service, and maybe we can even go back into a little bit of worship by the end of it. But I get it. I get it. I get it. Maybe some of you came to this service because we have overflow today, and so there's a desperation in the atmosphere right now. 
And maybe some of you, when I said that this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it, that doesn't really resonate. Because if he made it, why is it messy? How come I came in with a bunch of mess, God? And so that's my question this morning. In seasons that are messy, how can I still filter it through the lens of God's mercy? His everlasting mercy, his steadfast love. And I want to tackle this sermon with a title, Poetic License. Poetic License. Come on, let's pray one more time. Lord God, I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you, God, that you've empowered us with the ability to have poetic license over any reality that's coming against us. And those are real realities. But we pray right now by your Holy Spirit, you would show us a key an insight of how we can speak to that reality and start shaping that reality in alignment to your word under your covering. Lord God, I pray right now for the Golden State Warriors. I declare and decree right now, because we don't have a location in Boston, I can confidently say that the Golden State Warriors are your team. So we pray for favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some glory in this place. Why don't you say high five to five people as you take your seat. Incredible, incredible. Man, y'all look good. Y'all came out to church this morning. All right, I got, I got a quick question. How many people have been, with a raise of hands, how many people have been to Italy? country of Italy. Oh, wow. We got like, you know, 15% of the people. That's incredible. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful country. If you haven't been, if your hand wasn't up, I highly recommend you go to Italy and eat carbonara for Jesus, drink Italian wine, and call it communion, and just really experience the fullness of God in Italy. My wife and I, we've had the privilege to go to Italy a few times, and one of the recent times that we went in the last several years was back in 2018 when we launched Father Vive Roma. Vive Rome. If you're newer to our church, we have two campuses now in Italy. We have Vive Rome and Vive Milan. Shout out to Vive Italy, by the way. Give it up for Vive Italy. They just had a revival through Vive Worship Tour. It's been amazing. And, you know, this last time we went together in 2018, it was a historic moment. It was a monumental week. Vive Rome was actually the fifth campus in our five by five vision at the time. And hundreds of people came, dozens of people got saved. And the momentum in Vive Rome has never been stronger. But that week, I remember that after the launch, because Kim and I, we had two kids already at the time. And this was one of those trips where we got to sneak away. Um, uh, and we decided to extend the trip because I wanted to take her to the south of Italy. I wanted to take her to the Amalfi Coast, to Capri, because I really feel the presence of God in those places. And so before we did that, I knew that there was a couple of monuments and historic sites that I wanted to show her in Rome because she had never been. One of them being St. Peter's Basilica, the church that's named after Peter. And the cool thing about this church specifically is they have this Duomo, they have this dome at the top that if you walk up these stairs, you can get to the top of the dome and see a beautiful vantage point of the whole city. It is spectacular. It's phenomenal. So we had to do that. So our train ride was in the afternoon, but we had a few hours to squeeze in this tour of the Duomo. So we're going up the stairs and and I started to realize that it was busier than usual. 
And as we continued to go up the stairs, it got busier and busier and slower and slower. There was a little bit of a traffic jam. Long story short, we finally get to the top, but I lose track of time. And by the time we get to the top, I realized after we took the picture, we only have 25 minutes left to get to the train station. And you got to hear me, this church is on the other side of the city from Rome, Germany, from the train station in Rome. And we didn't even have our bags because they were still at the hotel. And so you know how you have soundtracks in life sometimes? Like Psalms can be a soundtrack for your life, but soundtrack. So all of a sudden, James Bond just just turned on for Kim and I. Like literally the, the soundtrack, or I don't know, maybe the Avengers or something. We need to go in superhero mode and figure this out. And so we're shoving people out of the way. We're weaving. We're walking down the stairs. And Kim is opening up the app because there's this app where you can book a Vespa scooter. And there was a Vespa scooter right outside St. Peter's Square. So we book. It's like half a mile. We book. I'm like Usain Bolt in this piece. Like we're out there and we get to the scooter and we get on the scooter. Kim comes around. She hugs me. She, she, she holds me. And then I full throttle. Let's go. We're going. We're weaving in and out of traffic. We're weaving in and out of pedestrians. We go on the expressway. Kim gets on her cell phone. She's talking to the Italian bellhop trying to explain to them that they need to prepare our bags. And she's explaining to the Italian bellhop. English is definitely his second language. And on Kim's best day, English is her second language. I'm kidding. And she's explaining to them not only to prepare the bags, but to prepare the breast milk because we just had Emerson and she was still pumping. And so she stored breast milk to be frozen in their refrigerator. And she's explaining to them, I'm like, babe, just forget the breast milk. She goes, that's liquid gold. And I don't have time to argue right now. We got to catch a train. And so we finally park it uh, right by the hotel. We, we go in. They have our bags ready. They got the breast milk ready. We put everything in the bags. And we are booking it on cobblestone streets with two rolly bags, a duffel bag. I got most of the bags. And then I realized as I'm running, I'm running way past Kim because Kim never runs. And so I had to circle back. And I had to get her rolly bag. So now I have two rolly bags. I have a duffel bag. I'm like, Kim, just go. She only has a souvenir bag. And as she crosses the street, I kid you not, the souvenir bag, that's a paper bag. It breaks. And all of the souvenirs fall on the ground. And she, she, she just keeps running. And so I'm like, go run, babe. Keep the gates open. Tell them to keep the door open. Because we only got two minutes to spare. And it's at least a five-minute sprint left. And so I got all the bags. And I'm pretty sure that it is going to be closed. Closed and it is going to be on its way. But by the grace of God, thanks be to God for his love endures forever that we got on the train and it was the first time I appreciated Italian time. I say that all to say because when I actually recall that story and recollect the actual feelings in the moment on the way to the train station, I distinctly remember the feeling of absolute fear that we were about to miss out. The whole trip was going to get wrecked because of my poor planning, because of my miscalculation, and all the unanticipated delays. See, I wonder today how many of us feel like that about life. That, that you're going through this journey on the way to your destination and you know you're a hot mess and you're asking the question, where's God's mercy 
in this crazy mess. And maybe it's self-inflicted mess. Maybe it's the decisions that you've made. Maybe it's the miscalculations that you've made. Maybe it's the mistakes, the blatant mistakes that you've made. Maybe the mess that you're experiencing is not based on those mistakes, but based on unforeseen circumstances that are out of your control. But we would all agree that sometimes it gets messy. And either way, in the mess, you get this sick feeling inside that I might not make it. My question to you today is, where are you trying to make it to? Or better yet, where are you trying to make it through? Is it a season of singleness this morning? Is it a cycle of stagnation in your career or your calling? Is it a hurt that you've received recently from a close family member or a friend? Is it a financial struggle you've recently found yourself in that you can't seem to get yourself out of? See, David says in Psalm 118, 19, he says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them. He's talking about the promise. And while he's saying that, you're thinking, just keep the gates open for me while I get through this messy season. It's messy. The, the path is not paved. The bags are breaking under the stress. You're juggling so many things that you can't even admit. And what was supposed to be a joyful season and now becomes kind of a dreadful season. See, here's the thing. I, I cannot promise you that after this sermon or after this service, the reality of your situation will change at all or the reality of your season will change at all. But what I can encourage you on is that God has empowered us with poetic license to be able to see our reality, speak to our reality, submit our reality to the promises of God so that we can start shaping and creating what God has for us. And if I can get more specific, I got so inspired as I was studying for this word around a specific lyric in the psalm that we just read. A specific lyric, which is a single reason that this psalm went triple platinum in the Bible. It is the most quoted lyric, the most quoted verse in the whole Bible. The potency of this verse, it doesn't just shape seasons, it has shaped centuries. That is the power of verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So this morning, I... I want to submit to you that I want to get our foundations right today. And, and I see that this verse, as we unpack it, has done three things when I read it in Scripture. First, this verse has served as a blueprint for restoring a physical building. Second, it foreshadows the restoring of divine relationship. And third, it creates a pathway for a new reality that you and I have access to. You guys ready? Awesome. Number one, it served as a blueprint for restoring a physical building. See, Psalm 118 would have been a psalm that was sung very repeatedly in the Jewish custom. The Israelites, at the very least, would have been singing Psalm 118 once a year annually because Psalm 113 to 118 were the psalms that were prescribed to sing for Passover. 
And so what's so cool about this psalm, it would be in the remembrance of the people. No matter what circumstance, no matter what season they faced, they would know that the Lord is good and his loving endurance is forever. See, they, they would have gotten this in their spirit. And, and they would have gotten all the different verses that proceeded after that in their spirit. And this is important because when you think about the Israelites post-David, you would know that they weren't always ruling and reigning. Actually, it was very little that they were ruling and reigning. Most of the time, they were either in captivity or exile. And so post-David, they find the people of God actually in exile outside of their land, rejected from their land. And it was so interesting that they were rejected from their land, but still prescribed to the fact, especially people that wanted to honor God, to sing things like the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, for the Israelites, this was still a blueprint that they could still build on. That the rejection wasn't wasn't necessarily a no to the promise. And I feel like some people need to hear that this morning. Because you've experienced rejection. You've experienced a displacement from the promise that you thought that you had or that was laid hold for you. And you've experienced rejection, but rejection is not necessarily a no, it's just a not yet. Because when I asked him out on a date for the very first time, she said no, but now we have four babies, so apparently I interpreted it as a not yet. And so rejection doesn't necessarily need to be just a closed door, but maybe there are other doors that God is trying to direct you to. And it's incredible that they're in this season of exile and they're still singing the psalm saying, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. That's not their current situation, but they're using the psalm to shape their current reality to God's promise And what they know about their God. And what's so incredible is that for the Israelites, this blueprint remained because of their confession. And even in the season of rejection, the promise was that they were going to eventually be restored. So in Ezra 3.10 verse Uh, 3 verse 10 through 11, it says this. This is the culmination of that season. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendant of Asas, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. Psalm 118. He is good. His faithful love of Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout out, praising the Lord because the foundation, the cornerstone of the Lord temple had been laid. See, this psalm that they regularly would sing ended up being the prophetic blueprint for their building. So my question to you today is what song are you singing right now? What song are you singing over your marriage? What song are you singing over your relationships? What song are you singing over your kids? What song are you singing over your career? What song are you singing over your coworkers? 
Is it a negative song? Because you can't build a building off negativity. Is it a country song? Because I said you can't build a building with negativity. Is it a song that's doom and gloom, or is it a song that is declarative? Is it a song that is prophetic? Is it a song that actually shapes the current reality into God's reality and promise for your life? See, I want to sing a prophetic song over my calling. I want to sing a prophetic song over my company. I want to sing a prophetic song over my kids. So we do this thing, my girls and I, every single morning when I drop them off from school, we say, Roush goes are, and they respond, strong and mighty. Roush girls are brave and kind. Roush girls are joyfully generous. Roush girls are kick butt tough. Kim and I co-wrote it. <laughs> and, and you got to think sometimes that, okay, is that true in every single moment of our lives? Maybe not. But if a psalm can actually shape centuries, then these first principle truths from God's word of the fruits of the spirit can shape my offspring. And that's what I want to do. I want to sing a prophetic song over my situation, over my family. Because God has given you poetic license. God has given you the ability to have poetic license over your calling. Because when you understand the first principle truths of what God has for you, he allows you to paint. He allows you to have poetry. He allows you to make a path. See, the first principle truth is this. The people of God have dominion. What does that mean? Dominion means we are meant to own real estate. We are meant to buy buildings. But here's the thing. You know how long we've been praying for buildings? You know how many times we were willing to pay for buildings? So many offers accepted, last minute rejected. So many offers where we had building plans ready to go, last minute rejected. And when I think about what God has for Palo Alto campus and what we're moving in in one month's time, and I think back over the poetic license we had in each of those situations that God must have had something better, and I think about all those other offers, I'm thankful for the rejection. The rejection wasn't a punishment. The rejection was protection. The rejection was preservation. The rejection actually allowed us to get closer to the actual purpose that God had for us. And so I love that we can start changing our narrative, not on what the world is trying to present to us, but what God has spoken over us. I can't wait to put the next offering gets rejected. God has something better. Amen. Amen. Number two, this verse acts as a foreshadow for restoring divine relationship. See, this verse wasn't just about the building, restoring a building. This verse was about restoring relationship. David's prophecy wasn't just about physical buildings, but it was a declaration of a Messiah that would come. That's what David was speaking to. And Jesus himself, the Messiah that we know today, referenced it in Matthew 21. It says this, Matthew 21, verse 40. It's the parable of the wicked tenants. And the parable of the wicked tenants is such a strange parable, but it's referenced in every single synoptic gospel. So there's a fundamental truth that we need to understand. 
It is about a master that has a vineyard that employs tenants in that vineyard to lease from him. And then while they get the fruits of this vineyard, what they do is he sends servants to get the rent from them back. But when he sent the servants, the tenants would beat and kill his servants. And so the master was like, okay, surely I'm going to send my son and they're going to respond to my son. They did the same thing to the son. And so we pick it up in verse 40. It says, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus asked. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is what the Lord is doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's Psalm 118 reference again. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them, and all that they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Jesus was offensive to the religious leaders of that time because he was establishing a new type of kingdom. A kingdom that was not based on a tabernacle or a temple anymore. A kingdom that now was based on relationship. And this was the original design of God. In the creation, it was called the Garden of Eden. We had uninhibited relationship with our Father. But what happened was that in the fall of man, through sin and rebellion, we were take, taken out of that relationship. But you got to know this. We didn't start from depravity. We started with our destiny. And we went from paradise to present day because we thought we could build a world without God. And it wouldn't be good for us to have a foundation other than God. Because if he's the chief cornerstone, it means he's the first stone. And he's the strong foundation. John 1 says it like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Verse 14, check this out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was establishing a new order. Not that his presence would reside only in a tabernacle and a temple. Because when it says dwelt among us, it means tabernacled among us, which means that wherever Jesus went was where God's presence was. He was establishing an order, or another way to say it is that we don't only have breakthrough in the presence of a building, but the breakthrough that you experience in this building, you have a responsible to take out there. It's not a good idea. It's not a suggestion because Jesus said, I will cut everything out that doesn't produce fruit. So we're meant to take it out beyond even the building. He establishes the restoration of physical things because he cares for your physical needs. He establishes a situation where now he can restore his plan back to his original design and allow us to have uninhibited relationship with him. That number three in my last point will create a pathway for a new reality you and I can now live in. 
This is cool. This is where your authority comes in. Because in Acts 4, it says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today? Because they're being questioned about their authority after healing a crippled man. Because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scripture where it says, the stone that you build is rejected, but has now become the chief cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness, the authority of Peter and John. But check this out. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They were also recognized as men who had been with Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected would become the chief cornerstone. A verse and a psalm that was used across a thousand years. The same psalm contextualized to different situations. He's your cornerstone. He's your foundation. But the thing is that your authority is not based on the depth of knowledge of Scripture, although Scripture and knowing it is important. Because they said that Peter and John, they barely knew Scripture. What were they impressed by? The boldness. And where did the boldness come from? Did it come out of a perfection? Did it come out of an arrival that it already had? Did it come from this deep, deep knowledge of Scripture? No, it didn't. It came from a song. What do I mean by that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, the Passover was when they sang Psalm 118 every single year. The Passover in Jesus's time, right before his crucifixion, is also called the Last Supper. So two things are happening here. The religious leaders of that time that were questioning their authority were in fear of them now because the same psalm that they stated, John and Peter, was the same psalm that Jesus quoted to them about the parable. But I actually hypothesized that Peter and John probably didn't remember that. The Bible says they were ordinary men. So maybe they didn't remember the scripture during that parable, but what if they remembered the song? Because during the Passover, during the Last Supper, it would have been one of the last things that Jesus said to them. The prophecy that I'm the stone that the builders are going to reject. I'm the stone that the builders are going to crucify. But I'm going to come back, resurrect from the dead, and establish myself as the chief cornerstone. He wants to be the cornerstone in your life. He wants to be the foundation of your life. Can we stand in the presence of God? How do we experience God's mercy 
in the midst of all the mess. This last thing that I'm gonna share and we'll close with this and we'll pray. Zechariah 4, 6 through 10. This is the governor that is called to lay the foundation, the first stone, the cornerstone when they were rebuilding the temple earlier that I was talking about. It says this, then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, the governor. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone, the capstone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. But watch this. Then another message, a separate message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in the line of Zerubbabel's hand. See, this is the difference between the crowd and God. The crowd would only celebrate you in the finished work. God celebrates you at the beginning of the work. God doesn't need your perfection. He just needs one decision. He celebrated Zerubbabel when he had the plumb line. A plumb line is a string with a weight on it that allows you to ensure that you're aligned as a measurement tool to make sure the building is going to be straight. Some of you have been building empires. Some of you have been building careers. Some of you have been building families on flimsy foundations. And I'm not saying that you're going to build it all this morning, but he'll already rejoice if you just make a decision that I want you as my chief cornerstone. I want you as my foundation. I want it to be a solid rock. I want my future to be secure. I want an assurance in Jesus Christ. That no matter my reality, this foundation helps me shape what he has for me. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't want to miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org, to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.